Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. This morning, I have a ton of scripture because we're going we're gonna to look into a story this morning. We've been talking about compassion over the last few weeks and reaching those that are outcasts and the unloved and those folks. I think Brother Eric, when he taught, he talked about how what it's like when you're out there on the school or the, the football field, basketball court, and you're picking teams and you're the last person that gets picked. Anybody ever was like that as a kid? I remember one time uh, I was coming off an injury and I was the last person to be picked. And I tried my best to convince them they should have picked me first. But when the game got started, it was a reason why I got picked last. Uh, anyway, but we're going to continue kind of on that theme when we look into the story that we're going to read this morning. But before we do, why don't we bow our heads and pray and ask God to, to help us this morning to learn and grow in him. Lord, I thank you. For your word this morning, I thank you for this Sunday school hour, God. It's not just the time where we just come to just go through religious protocol, God, but I pray open up your word to us, God. Teach us. God, we've come with a mindset, with a heart, God, to grow, and I pray, God, as the word goes forward, let it fall. God, that seed of the word fall on good ground, God. Produce a harvest, God, that is 100, God, 20, 30-fold in each of us today. God, help us to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, again, you may remain seated this morning, but turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Many of you are very familiar with this story. Uh, We're talking about the woman at the well this morning. So John John chapter 4, if you're there, would you say amen? Amen. I heard enough amens, no oh my's, or hold up. So we're going to start reading in verse 3. It says, And Jesus, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now the Bible says Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour of the day. Verse 7 says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, she says of Jesus, askest me, or ask if drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, 
Whosoever drinketh of this water, talking about the water in this well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And I want to stop there in this story. We're going to read the rest of it here later on. Again, it's a fairly lengthy portion of Scripture, but I just want to set the background for what, what happens in this, in this moment between Jesus and this woman at the well. And the title of my lesson this morning is simply The Source of Living Water. The Source of Living Water. Before we jump into the story outside of what we read just now, how many of you have, have ever studied this story? Anybody? Hands? Anybody? You know the story by heart, maybe. You remember it from every detail of it. Pastor, I know. Yeah, we know. You know. Part of the resume there. You just, oh. I don't have any really reason of asking that question, just out of curiosity, because, you know, this particular story in the Bible is really not a glamorous story. There's, there's a whole lot happening here, but it's not like it's a glamorous story. You know, I would say it's definitely an important story, right? Jesus is revealing revelation to her that he is the source of living water. But, you know, it's an important story because as we talked about compassion and, and, and different topics about reaching the lost over the last few weeks, this, this story is important because we can learn the character of Jesus. And I said, you know, it's not a glamorous story. It's not as popular as perhaps some of the other stories or things that Jesus did. Because in the, if you look into this story and you look a little bit deeper, nothing miraculous happens at this well. Nothing miraculous happening. He doesn't turn the water of the well into wine. That would be the talk of the town. Um, he doesn't heal this woman of a disease or an infirmity. He doesn't open blind eyes or cast out a devil. We don't even get to know the name of this woman. All that takes place, though, is a revolutionary conversation between Jesus and this woman, and consequently Jesus and us. And as we examine the story in detail this morning, I'd like to point out, I had four things, but I switched it to three things, uh, that we can learn and apply in order to be more like Jesus and to reach the lost in our world and in our community. And the first point I want to bring to our attention is found very early in this story, even before we get to the actual conversation between Jesus and this woman. But John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says that Jesus is leaving Judea, and he's on his way to Galilee. And verse 4 says, and he must needs go through Samaria. This may not be some deep revelational thought, but I want whomever is listening this morning to understand that on our journey with Jesus, whether this is your first day or whether you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, there will come a time. There will come times or even seasons where you must go through Samaria. In fact, as we see in this story, the decision to go through Samaria wasn't a decision that the disciples made. Jesus is the one that made the decision to go through Samaria. And that's important because if the disciples had a choice in the matter, they wouldn't have chosen to go the route that they went. 
If you had a choice over the way you and God had a journey or you and God kind of formulate y'all relationships, there would be a lot of places you wouldn't go either. But God still takes you through them anyway, right? And the reason for why the disciples would have chosen a different a different route to get to Galilee was very simple, and that was the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. Samaria was the region of what would make up the northern kingdom of Israel, and Samaria was also, when you talk about going from Judea, which is, you get it, Judah, kind of in Judea go together, but Judah was in the southern part of Israel. Galilee was at the very tip top of Israel, and so Samaria was the portion of land they had to get through in order to go from one section of land to the other. And so if you go back in history, the people of Samaria had a rough and rocky relationship with the rest of the children of Israel. After King Solomon, if you go back in in time a little bit, here's a history lesson. There was a fracture within the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah and Benjamin would go on to create the southern kingdom, which became the kingdom of Judah As we read, that's that part of Judea, while the other 10 tribes became the northern part of Israel. And neither kingdom is perfect. We're human beings. No kingdom was perfect. But in summary, the Bible tells us that the northern kingdom, somewhere along the line, they intermixed with the Assyrians, who would later on take them into captivity. So somewhere along the line, some of the Assyrian people began to marry some of the Israelites. And so... Their bloodlines were no longer pure. They were part Jew and part Gentile. And so Samaria was an ethically mixed nation with Jewish and a pagan heritage. And although they revered God, they believed in Yahweh originally, their faith, because they mixed with all the other belief systems of that time, became muddled. And so they had a rocky relationship with the southern kingdom. And so because of their imperfect adherence to Judaism and they believed in other gods, um, the Samaritans were despised by ordinary Jews. Rather than contaminate themselves by passing through Samaritan territory, normally Jews would travel, they would cross over the River Jordan. They would go on the other side, bypassing Samaria altogether, get up north and then cross over the Jordan River again. Or they would just take the boat and the full journey up the River Jordan. But they did that because they didn't want to mix and mingle with the Samaritans. And as you can imagine, over time, the Samaritans and Jews became hostile with one another. They didn't like, nor did they trust one another. Samaritans considered Jews to be snobby or, you know, they were elitist. They had their buttons all dressed just nice and they looked the part. Whereas the Jews considered the Samaritans to be beneath them or unequal because they had mixed and mingled with the different religions and times of the day. And we see this as we read in the story, verse 9 of chapter 4 of John says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, are asking drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And this is what I love about the Bible. It's plain to see if you just simply read it, but sometimes we gloss over little facts like this. You think the problems that we face in our world are new, but they're not new. 
The issues and injustices and, and, and social unrest is not a new thing to the world. Racism is not a new thing to the world. Here it is, right here in the story we just read. Hatred is was still a real thing during Jesus' day. The difference between then and now, though, is that Jesus had a plan. He was the plan to tear down all the hatred that existed between these two groups of people by offering his love and salvation to both. Jesus revealed who he was directly to this Samaritan woman. And this is the way that Jesus still operates for us today. He comes and meets us right where we are. And in order for us to spread the gospel, we got to understand, first and foremost, there are going to be times Jesus is going to lead us through Samaria. Okay? I wish that we could live in these four walls of the church all the time. As I was praying this morning, how many of you ever had a rough morning? Anybody? My family, we are perpetually late to everything. We got to be here for, for a sound check. We're coming in the door at 9.01. I'm like, man, we got all of our ducks in a row. We got the children's outfits ready. It doesn't matter. Whatever comes every morning, we're just late. And it's like, why? We did everything we could to be here on time, but something happens, right? And, and, and there's something about being in the house of God because if my mind is cluttered with all kinds of things, when I get into the house of God, it just seems like it all washes away. And that's a good thing. That's how it should be. But I don't want us to be naive and think that what we have in here can't also be had outside of these four walls. And so we got to understand that Jesus purposely leads us through Samaria. He purposely leads us into these circumstances and situations that we don't like. Because life would be a whole lot simpler if we just kept what we had in here. But if you know, if we kept everything inside these four walls, how would someone else know who Jesus is? Right? How would the gospel message be spread if we just stayed in isolation? If we were too afraid to go through where Jesus wants us to go into? Right? We can't reach the world by being isolated. And God is leading us, especially in this hour, to go through Samaria. And I want to finish with this point. We need to use godly wisdom, though, right? The simple truth is, in this story, Jesus was in Samaria. He talked to this woman at the well by himself. That's a dangerous thing, by yourself, right? Understand, we're not Jesus, all right? We have the Lord with us, but I want to make sure you guys understand we need to exercise godly wisdom. There are some places we don't need to go. Some people we don't need to get involved with. Hope you understand where I'm coming from this morning. I'm not saying that these people and these folks in these places don't need God. Please don't, don't take it that way because everybody needs the Lord. But going to the bar or going to the club, that's not a wise decision. Amen. With that said, it's important that we understand this journey that we're on, walking with the Lord. It's important that you look at how it's worded. We're supposed to go through Samaria. We're not supposed to stay in Samaria. There's a huge difference. When we go through Samaria, the goal is to tell somebody else about who Jesus is. We got to take advantage of every opportunity 
and recognize that when we follow the Lord, he's going to lead us through these scenarios and through these occasions. And the reason why is because we're supposed to tell someone else about who he is. Amen? All right. Let's read a little bit more scripture this morning. Let's pick up the story in verse 17. Jesus is, is talking to this woman. He's asked her to give him some water. Right? In verse 16, the woman tells him, Jesus tells her that in verse 15, you know, if I have water that if you drink the water that I'm going to give you, you're never going to thirst. And the woman says, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. I don't want to have to keep coming to this well to draw this water if you're going to give me what will satisfy my soul. And so in verse 17, or verse 16, sorry, Jesus saith unto her, go, call your husband, and then come back. The woman answers and says, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast isn't even your husband. In that, you've told the truth. The woman saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. I would say the same thing if you knew all my business, right? I perceive that you are a prophet. Then she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus gives her some revelation here. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when neither or you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. If you worship, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Then the woman says unto him, you know, I know my background. I know my, I know my Bible is what she's trying to say here. She says, I know that. Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And here's the revolutionary or revelatory moment. Jesus says unto her, the one that's speaking to you is that person. I that speak unto thee am he. And then the disciples finally show up on the scene and they marveled that he's talking to a Samaritan woman. But they don't start questioning Jesus, which is probably smart in that moment in time. You know, they don't come up to Jesus and say, what seeketh thou? Or why are you talking with this woman? And verse 28 says, the woman then left after getting this revelation. I keep saying revolution. It's a revelation. The woman then left her water pot, water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? If you skip down to verse 39 in this chapter, it says, after she went about testifying of who Jesus was and what Jesus has spoken to her, it says, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Jesus for the saying of the woman, which testified that he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there three days. And he said unto the woman, now we believe, or the people said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, 
For we have heard him ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen? That is the story of the woman in the well and at the well. And I know we read it all in its context, but as we look at this story in detail, the word that, that comes to me, and this is the second point I want to make, is that I believe the heartbeat of this story when you look at it culturally and historically, and even as on a personal level, the summary of this encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well, the word that comes to my mind is reconciliation. How many of you are thankful for God's reconciling power, that he is able to reconcile us, right? Every one of us has a testimony of how God has redeemed us. You and I, we don't deserve to be redeemed. We don't. We don't. One sin has just immediately put us outside the category of being worthy of anything that God gives us, right? But God loves us so much that he made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And how many know what that word reconciliation means? Anybody? It's a big word we like to throw out, but I actually wanted to look it up to, to kind of get down to the nitty gritty of what it means. But reconciliation comes from the simple word reconcile. For us English speakers, it's actually coming from a French word, reconciliar. Maybe I said that well. I don't know. Who knows? Reconciliar. I don't know. Or the Latin word. I don't speak Latin, but reconciliar. I don't know. I probably butchered the pronunciation. But this word of reconciliation or reconciler or whatever you want to call that pronunciation that I just said, it's actually two phrases put together. The first part is re, R-E. And that is simply means back. That's all it means, going back. And then conciliar or concile means to bring together. And so when we put this word reconcile all together, we get the understanding it means to bring something back together. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, think about where at the start of creation, Adam and Eve messing up, so where we are today, God has made a way to bring us back together. Amen? Webster's Dictionary describes reconcile as restoring friendly relations between two groups. And the Bible is full of stories of, of reconciliation. As I thought about the context of this woman at the well, some of the stories that stick out to me are the Good Samaritan. Right? The Good Samaritan, he's the only one that helped this injured person on the road. The Bible says that the, the priest, the Levite, they all went around this man, but the good Samaritan, the person who shouldn't have even had a right to get involved with that Jewish person that was hurt because of their cultural differences, as I spoke about earlier, they don't, they don't get along with one another. But the good Samaritan still found a way to mend that relationship with a person he doesn't even know, a person he doesn't even the Bible says that not only did he pour oil, I think, on his wounds, but he also paid for the end where that injured person was. Another uh, example of reconciliation is the prodigal son. I looked into the commentary on this. A lot of times the prodigal son, we see one son goes out and, and, and you know, he lives it up in the world. And the other son stays faithful to the father at the house. But as I dug into this story, there's a lot of cultural reference here talking about the Samaritans and the, the Jews, 
Judea. Here we have a group of people, the Samaritans, who just like that older son went out and got mingled into different things that they shouldn't have got involved with. But yet here we have Jesus at the well reconciling him back to reconciling this woman back to himself. And in the story we read in verse 12, the woman also talks about a story that has to do with reconciliation. She brings it up. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well? talking about Jacob's well, and gave thereof him, of himself and his children and his cattle. They all drank from this well. And if you go back into Genesis uh, chapter 33, it talks about this particular place where this woman is. It doesn't mention this well by name, but the Bible in chapter 33 of Genesis, verses 18 through 20, records that Jacob purchased a piece of land and constructed an altar which he called El Elohi Israel, which literally means God, the God of Israel. And this happened immediately following Jacob's reconciliation with his brother Esau. Many of you know the story. Jacob steals Esau's birthright, and then he flees on the run, right? And here we have the moment where the two brothers come back together, a reconciliation. And Jacob sends his family in front of him because he doesn't know what Esau's response is going to be. So he starts sending his family in front of him. You know, he, he can't hurt those people, and then he can't hurt those. Eventually, when he gets to me, I'm going to tear those walls down. But the Bible says when Esau and Jacob get back together, the, the reconciliation process is complete because they both embrace one another, and, and the relationship becomes mended. And similar to Jacob and Esau's, uh, situation, the Samaritans had experienced a long separation from the greater mainstream of Jewish Israel. But just like Esau and Jacob were able to experience reconciliation, Jesus comes to this place in Sychar in Samaria, and he is reconciling a lonely Samaritan woman and many others later on through her testimony to himself. And I want to tell somebody Jesus is still doing this reconciliation work today, or else you and I wouldn't be here. Right. Because you and I, we don't deserve what Jesus has to offer, but yet he still offers it to us. Right. He has the power to bring the lost back to him, regardless of how long they've been away, how much sin is in their life. There's no obstacle that's too great for Jesus. And we know that sin and the power or the destroying power of sin always causes separation from God. You can go back to Adam and Eve in the garden and see that. But God has always and still is today making a way for the relationship between him and us to be restored and brought back together, just like this woman at the well. So let's get back to the story. The woman went to the well, the Bible tells us, at the sixth hour. The sixth hour would have been our modern day noon. This was the hottest part of the day. Most people during that time likely would have been resting because they don't want to be out in the heat. My wife hates the heat. She just says, I can't. I'm like, how did you grow up in this county and you don't, I don't know. I was a child. I did jihadist things. When I grew up, I had to put away those, speak, baby. I know, preach. Most women at this time, though, when we talk about this woman at the well, most women at this time, they would have come early in the morning or late in the evening to collect water. And they probably came in groups of people and helped one another because you can imagine drawing water from a deep well was very difficult. It took a lot of labor, a lot of manpower. The primary reason someone would do 
Such a wearisome, sweaty task in the hottest part of the day would be to avoid other people. As the story progresses, right, we read it, we learn this woman, she comes to this well pretty often, especially at this time of day. She'd been married five times and is currently living in a relationship she shouldn't be living in by living with her boyfriend. And this woman probably went to the well at this time to avoid the long stares and whispered conversations behind her back about her past. Let's face it, people gossip, right? People gossip is really no different today in our culture. People who have made life-altering mistakes often avoid invasive questions. You made a, if you made a mistake, how many of you just like being confronted about that mistake? Nobody. Just, you did what? No, we don't like that. We avoid those moments because we don't want the embarrassment, right? People avoid places and people where they know they will face embarrassment and confrontation. And I don't want to point any shade at any women this morning, but news fat travels fast, especially with women. I'm just, I'm just, don't, don't hurt me. I've watched my mama growing up. When she gets with people, I'm like, mama, come on, mama. Come on, please, mama. Right? It's, I don't know. We men, we do the same thing. I'm not putting all the men out, okay? All right, but you can imagine all these women here at the well, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Twitter. How did the news travel? They had to tell one another. Did you know so-and-so did such-and-such? She is on her fourth husband. The other three, where they at? Like, you can imagine there was some discussion happening at this well. If you don't believe me, women, and you testify and be honest this morning, be honest. It still happens today. Again, men are not exclusive to this. No, we, we gossip too. It's just women, y'all have a way about it. It's different than men. All right? But these, sorry, y'all. But this back and forth conversation with Jesus points to her desire to avoid the shame that would have come with attending the well when the other women were present. Yet Jesus, in his divine intentionality, sought to meet this specific woman at this specific time. And I get it. I really do. Most of us, you've probably heard the term, we wear our hearts on our sleeves. As soon as someone hurts us, we shut down. We view what's happening around us, right, through a jaded lens because we don't want it to happen again. We know what it's like to be an outcast. We know what it's like to feel unloved. No one wants to be embarrassed when they made a mistake. And so we can kind of identify with this woman at the well. Jesus is just putting it out there to her like, yeah, I know. You know, you're, you had five husbands and the person you're with is not your husband. You can imagine how she must have felt because no one wants to be embarrassed. But if you think about what Jesus was doing here in reaching out to this woman, my question is, knowing that people are hurt, people are embarrassed, people are fighting these battles, right, of isolation, how much more should we as the church, as good men and women of God, go out and, and minister to these people, right, who are thirsty because that's what they're thirsty for. They're thirsty for a connection. They're thirsty for some type of relationship with somebody that isn't going to embarrass them. 
And I don't know about you, Jesus Christ is not in the business of embarrassing people. He's not. Jesus is not the one out to point out your flaws. That's the enemy. That's the devil. Jesus is never going to point at you and say, you did this, so I don't love you. That's not the way Jesus does things. So how much more should we, as the representation of the body, be reaching out to people, especially in this time? Right? Just as the good shepherd left the 99 safe sheep and went into the dangerous woods to find that straggler, we must be confident enough to go into the highways and byways to find those who are embarrassed by their past mistakes. While most Jews might not have even looked this Samaritan woman in the face, Jesus spoke directly to her with kindness and respect. He treated her as a person, which is more than most who knew her past would have done. Jesus did not treat her as anything less than one of his creation. In a similar way, the church today should not avoid or treat harmfully anyone God sends into our path. Amen? Everyone we come in contact with can have a story, or they probably do have a story of shame, of pain, of heartache, of sin. But Jesus himself demonstrated that there is no sin too great that God can't reach, that God doesn't want to heal, that God doesn't want to help in their situation. There's no circumstance too great. Similarly, we should be willing to look beyond a person's past and treat everyone with the same respect and dignity that we also would hope would be offered to us, right? People in the world, so many times, that's what they're used to hearing. They're used to hearing the disrespect. They're used to hearing about, oh, you did so-and-so in the past. So that's all that we talk about all the times is the past. We don't ever talk about people's potential future. But since we got Jesus, we have the best thing to offer them. Jesus is your future. You don't have to live with what you've gone through in the past. The answer, and as I'm talking about this morning, the source is Jesus. This woman had a lot to be ashamed of. Her past seared her memories and her conscience, and she tried her best to avoid revealing what she had done. However, when Jesus finally revealed that he knew everything, he didn't embarrass her or speak down to her. When the disciples returned and even when the city, the folks in the town came to see Jesus, Jesus didn't hide the fact that he had spoken to her and ministered with compassion to her. Jesus wasn't ashamed to be with this woman. Jesus didn't care what other people said about him because they can't stand up to the Lord. They can't stand up to God. And how many times as I thought about this, are we ashamed to be talking to people that may have made a mistake? How many times are we ashamed to be you know, in the same group with someone who's made a mistake. And then I look back over my life, and I'm like, how many times have I made a mistake? But yet here God is still staying with me, still faithful. How come we can't show that same faithfulness to those outside of these four walls? We got to be able to reach those in the community that need it. How many know more than ever they need it? More than ever we're seeing people come into this church And the reason they're coming is because they're thirsty, they're hungry. What we have to do is point them to the source. Amen. We have to point them to, as we'll talk about, the living water. We should not be ashamed to be seen with anybody, just as Jesus was not ashamed to be seen with the woman at Jacob's well. Obviously, 
as I said earlier, we need to exercise wisdom and caution. You guys know, you guys know what I'm saying there. Remember, we must go through Samaria, not stay in Samaria. But if Christians avoid people with a past, how will they ever hear the message of Jesus, who is the water of life? And that is my last point this morning is Jesus is the only source for the thirsty soul. Jesus is the only source for the thirsty soul. Just as the Samaritan woman was looking, if you look into our history, she was looking for men to satisfy her soul. Too many people also look to the things outside of Jesus Christ to give our hearts meaning and purpose. Brother Roberts used to say it when he used to teach, let's be honest. How many of you have ever looked for anything else outside of the Lord for fulfillment? Right? We've all been there. We've all can testify of at least identifying with this woman. But we live in a culture where we're highly focused on the next best thing. If, it, if you know, trends and, and these things come and go, we're always looking we, we focus on the next best way to organize something, right? How many of you have ever tried to organize your closet, your garage? How many of you get tired of seeing the way your furniture is ranged every day? And maybe halfway through the year, you start switching the furniture around, and then, you know, next part of the year, you switch it around again. It happens in my home. I'm like, I don't know why, Michelle, why? I just, I don't like the way it looks. We done lived here for six months now. You don't like the way, I mean, all right, I'm, I'm, my wife's looking at me, and I see her in my peripheral vision. Right now, all right? But we look for the next best thing, not just organizing anything. We look for the next best item to buy. You get tired of that iPhone. You want the new one, right? You want the next best thing. It ain't better. Just get a Samsung, all right? Our lives are also looking for, I just had to throw that in there, sorry. Um, But we're always looking for the next thing when someone upsets us. Or they no longer fulfill our happiness, we walk away looking for the next best relationship. Our souls, we rarely settle. And when we do settle, we often settle for the wrong thing because we think that's the next best thing. Our lives are planned out, priced out, seeking perfection. And sadly, we don't even notice that the aching question behind our search for the next best thing is why we even need that next best thing in the first place. Right? We desire fulfillment, a rest, and joy that cannot be found in any other person, place, or object. That fulfillment and thirst can only be found in Jesus. And as I was studying for this lesson, I need to be reminded of that fact. Right? This world has nothing for me. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, right? I'm just passing through. And a lot of times we just, we get, our perspective gets off. You know, and if we're not careful, we can lose sight of the source, and that is Jesus. And this is what Jesus was trying to reveal to this woman. As he revealed himself to her, he sought to show her that he was the never-ending water she was so thirsty for. John 4 and 14 says, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is the only well of eternal life. He's the only well. There is no other option. There is no other alternative. Jesus is the only source. 
And we can see this not just where we read there, but it's also throughout Scripture. Other portions of the Gospel of John say this. Jesus told a crowd gathered at a feast in John chapter 7, verse 37. He said, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He told another crowd in John chapter 6, he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus told many people about the living water that can only be found in him. And I thought about that term, living water. What is living water? It's a weird analogy of what Jesus is talking about here. But I I dug into this. It's not in my notes this morning, but for the sake of time, I'm looking. I can kind of go a little bit deeper here. But living water, when you think about the well, when water gets stagnant, what happens? It stinks. It festers. Things begin to die around it, right? Things that live near a swamp are things we don't want any part of, mosquitoes and and who knows what, frogs, alligators, who knows what, things that can hurt us. And the reason why is because the longer that water sits and doesn't move, the longer that water doesn't remain quickened, the more and more dirty it gets. If you think about running water, we got this huge source of running water. I think Brother Josh's dad preached on this one time. But when the water runs, when it's moving, there is a life-giving ability to it. And so when Jesus talks about out of his belly shall flow, it doesn't mean that this Holy Ghost, this Jesus Christ that we get on the inside of us is just supposed to sit idle. That's not the reason why we get it. It's supposed to flow out of us. It's supposed to impact every part of our life. That's why it's living. And that's why it's not dead. That's why we serve a living God and not a dead God. Because the water is living. There is life to it. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell this woman. You keep coming back to this well, all you're going to find is dirty water. All you're going to find is dead things. You keep putting your hope into this world and and other men and other things. All you're going to find is unfulfillment because those things are not alive. I am the only source that produces life. I'm the only source that can keep speaking and moving and working in your life. And that's why he says you're never going to thirst again. If you find yourself thirsty today, you're probably drinking from the the wrong source. Because if you're drinking from the source that is Jesus Christ, I feel like I'm preaching for a moment, sorry. If you drink from the source that is Jesus Christ, you won't be thirsty for long. Because he'll continue to renew you and keep bringing life into you. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen. And as we endeavor to be like Jesus and reach those around us, that has to be our message. The source, the one that will fulfill your need is only found in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy. No matter what people face, no matter the struggle, no matter the situation, Jesus is 10 times out of 10 the answer. When we share Jesus Christ with others, we need to be confident We have to be confident. Our confidence can't be in any other thing. We got to be confident that we're giving them something that will last and it will satisfy. Because if the water came from us, 
the water came from our ability, then we should definitely be worried. Right? How many times have you tried your own way and failed? Man, many times. Too many times I've failed because, one, I didn't listen to God, or two, I just was too stubborn and wanted to do it my own way. But if I had to come up with the water, hmm, it wouldn't be good for you. Right? But if we connect people to the real source, right, when people come into these walls, it's not about us. It's not about our ability to sing. It's not about our, you know, nice, friendly relationships. Those are all good things, but we got to be pointing them to the source. If we point them to Jesus, then he will make up the difference above and beyond anything we could ever hope to provide. He'll make up the difference. He'll have the answer. He'll have the solution. He'll have exactly what they need for their current situation. Amen. I got to my ending very quick. But go ahead. You got to stand up with me as I come to a close this morning. Jesus did not discriminate against the woman he met at Jacob's well, even though her past was certainly not ideal. Jesus operated with a purpose. And if you look at the end of that story, Jesus knew by saving this woman with all of the problems in her past, her testimony would be effective to reach everybody else in that community. It's the same for each of us. We cannot hold this gift, this living water to ourselves. I want to remind someone that we must be like, at the end of this story, the woman at the well. She went and told everyone about who Jesus was. Jesus wanted to demonstrate at Jacob's well that the living water he offered was effective to save everyone. No matter how extreme a person's past, we can look at the story of Saul, right? Saul was a domestic terrorist, really, is who he was. Jesus demonstrated that if he could love someone who was killing off the people of God, then he could love anybody. He shared the living water with whomever would come to him and receive it. And that offer is still open to everybody today. Now is the time for us to be Christ-like, just as Christ was willing to share the living water with anyone, regardless of a person's past sin, we must be ready and willing to share it as well, regardless of mistakes people have made in their past. Jesus is still calling at the end of that that, uh, story of the woman at the well. Jesus talks about a harvest at the end of that. And If you look into it, Jesus says that he's looking for laborers to go into the field and search for people who are ready to receive him. That's what he tells his disciples at the end of that story. Matthew 9, chapter, I mean, uh, verse 37, 38 records what many people call Jesus' only prayer request. Jesus told his disciples, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. A harvest can be backbreaking, uncomfortable, laborious work. And a lot of times it requires us going through Samaria. But the work put into the harvest is always worth it for the bounty that you'll receive at the end of the harvest. Similarly, when we work 
to put in to share the gospel with everyone, regardless of their past, it will always be worth it in the end. Even if someone spits in your face and says they don't want it, it's better that you offered it than not offer it at all, right? If God could save you and me, he can save anybody, right? This story just reminds us that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. Jesus Christ is the source and he is the living water and the answer for every situation and circumstance. Would you bow your heads with me as we close this morning? God, I thank you for your word, God. And I pray as a church, God, challenge us. God, we're living in perilous times. That's what the Bible calls the end times, the last days. God, and there are so many people that need to know the answer is in you. God, that you are our source, God, that we don't put our hope in ourselves, our ability. We don't put our hope in relationships, God, but our hope never fails when we put it in you, God, and you're able to quicken us, God. You're Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm gonna wait a